we're in Lent at the moment. Lent 2. Is everybody fasting? Who's fasting? Or who's having trouble fasting? I'm fasting like alcohol. It's so hard. I don't know. It's really difficult. Like we had, because it's Sunday today, so you don't need to fast on a Sunday, which is great. So we had wine, which is awesome. It's like, yeah. Stopping stops the shakes. So, <laughs> so um, it's, t- it's, it's kind of it's tough. And every now and again, Violetta and I is like, why are we doing this again? Are we supposed to be feasting? Hasn't Jesus like risen from the dead? So we're like, and we're like, it's really good for you to fast and to like withhold something. So even though it's hard. So it's week two, and uh, we only have like three, four weeks ago. But it'll, it's good for you. So um, could you put up the next slide? Sorry, I forgot my clicker. So I'm like the next slide guy. Uh, we're going to talk about postal codes and fasting. So if you listen to the podcast, which I know you all did, the Lenten one, you would have known what we're going to talk about. So um, <clears throat> there's a quote. Can you put it up the next one? It's uh, John Christendom, one of the big theologians, saints, said this. says, no act of virtue can be great if it is not followed by advantage for others. So saying uh, act of virtue, meaning fasting in this context, so, or any kind of ritual, fasting in this context. So, so no matter how much time you spend fasting, no matter how much you sleep on a hard floor and eat ashes and sigh continually, if you do no good to others, you do nothing great. And this is the key teaching. It's Jesus' key teaching. It's the key teaching in the prophets. They're always, they're always nailing Israel, going about, God doesn't care about your fasting. He doesn't care about your rituals. He doesn't care about your sacrifices. He cares about your heart. He cares about, do you have mercy on others? Do you love justice? Is that's where you are. So just fasting and telling everybody you're fasting and you're not eating gluten or you're not eating this or whatever, it's, not, it's only the beginning. If your fasting doesn't make you more aware of the need around you, like it's worth nothing. So, um, can you, next one please. So, <clears throat> Pope Francis this year. So, Pope Francis chose a very interesting name. So when you become Pope, you can choose a name, which is kind of cool. So, um, <clears throat> I wonder if I were Pope, I would be like, Saint Teresa or something, Pope Teresa or something. I love Saint Teresa, she's like my favorite saint. But Pope Francis chose Saint Francis, Saint Francis of Assisi. And Saint Francis was very, very adamant about social justice and about helping the poor. And the Pope Francis now is radical as well. If you read, he was Times Person of the Year in 2013. And what's so great about him is he does stuff like he would touch people that are really, really sick. So if you, if you just Google Pope Francis and all the stuff that he's done, like he would, people that would come with are completely deformed, deformed or so, and he would hug them and take them in. And he even confessed to like a normal priest, which is not done. Like in the Catholic Church, you never confess down. So you already confess up because it's hierarchical kind of structure. And he confessed to a normal priest, which is like a massive thing. And he's very radical in terms of social justice and change and acceptance. He even did a ceremony where he married a whole bunch of couples at the same time. And a lot of them were divorced and one of them were pregnant, which is not done in the Catholic Church. So he makes very, very huge statements about being inclusive, about loving the poor and all of that. And when he was asked this year, he did his Ash Wednesday sermon message and he said, what you should fast 
is not only or not just alcohol or sweets or sugar, all of that, but to fast indifference. And if you look at the world today, he is making a <coughs> massive, massive statement. Because we have kind of, we've developed this, in Afrikaans culture, we have this thing called a, a lar mentaliteit, lager mentality, not beer lager, like lager mentality, like a lar, the track lar, circle the wagons. And often we have this mentality, when things are going really, really badly, we would just kind of circle the wagons. And some, somewhere, somewhere this week, somebody posted this little video, and it was a video of one of the estates, and it was all about how awesome it is inside the estate. And I was watching this video going, that sounds really cool, and kids are playing, and there's bike paths, and you can jog, and there's a gym, and a doctor, and a thing, and a hospital, and a this, and a that. And I thought, you can be born there, and die there, and you would never have to leave. Right? Which is, and it's nothing against the state. It's like, I'm sure it's fine to live inside of one, but there's something that's not very healthy about that. It's something about that you're completely separating yourself from the rest of society. You're living in this, almost this Truman Show. Remember that movie, The Truman Show? Or Pleasantville? Like it's completely, almost ignorant of the outside world. And um, <clears throat> where indifference is a very, very, very bad thing. For someone to be indifferent to our country or towards other people is a sad and terrible thing. There was a guy, Eli Wiesel, can you put on the next one, next quote? He said, the opposite of love is not hatred, it is indifference. Which is harsh. It's very harsh. He is a Holocaust survivor and an author, Nobel Peace Laureate and all stuff like that. And he said, the opposite of love is not hatred, it's indifference. And there's nothing worse than that than not caring. Like, rather be angry. Rather be angry and rather hate than become indifferent. And um, we're going to read a little bit. Our text for today is in Luke 13. Put the next one, please. As Luke 13, I'm going to read it. It's a short little bit. <coughs> and I'll expound it a little bit. Luke 13, from verse 31. It says, At the time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. So it was some good, some good Pharisees that were on Jesus' side, actually, and said, leave this place and go somewhere else here who wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. And in any case, I must keep going, and tomorrow on the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. So just a little bit of context. Herod didn't like what Jesus was doing. And by this time, Herod has already beheaded John the Baptist. So, and Jesus calling him a fox, like it's not, a fox is not uh, in the way that we, a fox means in, in, our, in our context, our culture, where a fox is something that is sly and cunning. You know, Jakels and Wolf, Jakels is like, is he slim in? And uh, Wolf is he dom in? And Jakels ween altijd. So, in Jesus' time, a fox is like the way, the way a farmer hates a fox. Because a fox is always killing the livestock. Right? And a fox is kind of this sneaky, underhanded creature that just kills innocent chickens. Right? And that is kind of the, what Jesus is calling Herod. He's calling him a fox like that. And saying, 
<coughs> you're a fox, and I'm not scared of you, and I'm doing all this stuff, I'm healing and driving out demons and doing all these things that you don't like because I'm causing this, it seems like this revolution, and Herod doesn't have time for revolution and, or any kind of space for it. So he says, I'm doing this stuff you don't like, and I'm going to continue doing this stuff you don't like. So, uh, Hunger Games. Jesus is doing like a Katniss Everdeen moment, right? Where Herod would be, what's the guy's name? President Snow. And if you, if you link Jesus to the heroine, to Katniss Everdeen, and President Snow is like, I'm going to kill you. I've already beheaded all your mates. And Jesus is going, no, you're not. I'm still going to keep on doing what I'm doing, and I'm coming your way. And it's exactly that. That's exactly the scene. So if you watch all the Hunger Games movies, this is exactly what's happening in the scene. And Jesus is saying, I'm going there, and I'm going to do what it needs to be done. And which is kind of interesting if you start drawing the parallels between Hunger Games, where the, there's one scene in the latest one where the one girl, I can't remember the character's name, with the short hair, and she goes, anybody can kill anybody if you're willing to sacrifice yourself. Remember that scene? See the movie? She goes, anybody can kill anybody else, even a president, if you're willing to sacrifice yourself. And this is kind of the similar, similar thing. What we're going to get to <coughs> is the next bit where Jesus says, O Jerusalem, he says, no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. So, <coughs> verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone to those, and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. If you were not willing, look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus has this lament and this sorrow for Jerusalem. Can you go to the next one, please? Jesus has this lament and this sorrow for Jerusalem. So, no, that's too far. One back. Yeah, the empty slide, yeah. It's like, this is now like the big, <laughs> it's the empty slide bit. So Jesus cries over Jerusalem. And um, just to read, Jesus feels passionate about a place. Jerusalem was not very big or small. 20,000 people live there, right? Jesus feels passionate about a certain place. He cries about it. He says, that, he says actually, a quite a shocking thing. He says, Jerusalem kills prophets. And Jerusalem was, in the mind of every kind of Jewish person, this pure place, this place of purity and sanctity. And to say that the prophets get killed there, which is true, which was true, is kind of a slap in the face of all the Jerusalem knights, saying that your city is not that pure and not that sanctified as you think. You kill all the prophets sent to you. So Jesus is lamenting that these people are not accepting God's good news, that God himself is coming to them and has been sending people to them all the time going, love one another. Have love justice, love mercy. Allow the stranger to come in. Like all this, all this message of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And Jerusalem has just been rejecting and rejecting and rejecting it. And Jesus is crying over that. And what is so beautiful about it is Jesus is crying. A friend of mine, Len Sweets, like he says, that Jesus is crying over a zip code, over a postal code. Like I wonder what Jerusalem's postal code was, 777 or something. But... Jesus is crying over a specific place, like he cares about that place. And the question is, do you, do we care about our place? Do you cry 
about the people of Hatfield, or the people of Pretoria, or the people of Gauteng. And let's not go any wider than that. Does it like break your heart to see people not accepting God's love and God's grace, and people not loving mercy and loving, and loving justice and forgiveness? Does it break your heart? Can you have a lament over Pretoria? Do you love your zip code? Do you love your postal code? Is what Len would always ask us. Like going, do you love your postal code? As a church, do you love Hatfield? Do you love this place? Because Jesus did. He loved Jerusalem. He loved it so much that he died for Jerusalem. Pope Francis said, but when we fast from this indifference, we can begin to feast on love. In fact, Lent is the perfect time to learn how to love again. Jesus, the great protagonist of this holy season, certainly showed us the way. In him, God descends all the way down to bring everyone up. In his life and in his ministry, no one is excluded. God still loves us, still loves us, and God is still with us. And the question is, are we with the people around us? Like we are all our community, we are together in this space. We are bound together by a covenant, right? The new covenant. We are bound together by this. And we are supposed to love one another and not be indifferent to one another. We are supposed to carry one another's pain and share the laughter and share the pain. And all be really, really angry. That Gizela's cars got stolen last week. And all share that pain. We are supposed to love one another. And it's super difficult. Covenant love is not easy. It's like being in a marriage. A marriage is also a covenant. It is damn hard. We've been married now for 10 years. I can guarantee you, after like the first month, it's hard. Right? And it gets harder sometimes. It gets harder and greater at the same time. And covenant love is like that. When God made a covenant with Israel, he sticks to his word. God never leaves. It is Israel all the time that leaves and leaves and leaves and God comes back and Israel leaves and God comes back and Israel leaves and God comes back because covenant hard love does that. It keeps on going back. And when somebody offends you and when you get angry at somebody within this community, you go back and you go back and you go back and you go back and you go back because that is what we do because we are bound together by a covenant. We are bound together by Jesus' life, by the cut made through Jesus. We are bound together by his blood and his sacrifice. And that's who we are. We are a people that love and that love one another. But it's not like a silly kind of superficial love and hugs all around and smiles all around. It's that hard like covenant love. Like that even when you irritate me and I hate you for what you've done to me, I will still come back and give forgiveness and mercy. And that's where we are. And that's what we want this space to be. And that's why we started Third Place, to say that we want to love Jesus and love others, even if it is hard. Even when we get super pissed off at one another, we still want to go back and fix it and go forward. Right? And that's what makes this community so special. That's what makes following Jesus so special, is that we don't leave. Christians always move toward. We never move away. Like in ancient Rome, when the plague hit Rome, everybody was fleeing in the second, third century. Everybody was fleeing Rome because the plague was in Rome, except the Christians. They stayed and they took care of the dying at the expense of their own lives, many. And that's what Christians are. 
You go toward, not away. And in a time like this, right, with everything that's going on on campus and everything that's going on in the country, it's for us, a call on us to not be indifferent. To go, this matters. It matters that what is happening on campus. It matters what's happening in our politics, in our country, and everything. And it's not a call to arms. It's a call to peace. Right? When Joe, some of you remember Joe, when he came to South Africa in the beginning, they were praying to find people of peace. Right? To find a man of peace, woman of peace. People of peace in the, in the city. And then they found third place and say that they can connect to this community because it's a community of peace. It's a people of peace. And if you want to hit the last slide now, see now it's like the big moment. Here you go. <clears throat> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And at times such as this, when everything is like, it feels like sometimes like it's going to boil over and it's going to be mad, it is our responsibility as Christians to go towards, not away, and circle the wagons to go towards and go in and be peacemakers, lovers of peace. Because your primary identity is not Afrikaner and it's not South African or British or whatever. Your primary identity is a child of God, is a Christian. Whether we speak English or Sepedi or Afrikaans or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's not your primary identity. Your primary identity is a peacemaker, a child of God. That is your primary identity. And that's what I need, you to, I need you to remember. I want you to remember that covenant, the covenant love to say, you will always go back. You will always forgive. You will always have mercy. That is who we are, who we are supposed to be. So we have all one thing, which is amazing, all Christians, every single Christian tribe on the planet, whether you are in a crazy missional independent church like this, or a Catholic, or Methodist, or Charismaniac, or Pentecostal, or you know, whatever, we all share this one thing. We all were baptized, right, at some point in your life. If you haven't been baptized yet, then you need to come and speak to me afterwards. We've all were, we all were baptized at some point. Some as babies, some as adults, and that's fine. We all share water. Like Martin Luther King, he said one thing that we as Christians know is water, right? Because they were used to spray them with these big water cannons. And he had this beautiful speech which said, you can come with your water cannons. It doesn't matter. Because whether we're Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal, we all know water. So we are not scared for, about for your water, right? We all know water. And this water is a symbol of the covenant. It's a symbol of not only your covenant with God, but our covenant with one another. That you are part of a body, that you are part of a church. And sometimes we forget that. And that is what your baptism is supposed to mean to you. Is that you are part of a people. That you are newborn. That, so with the Jewish people, they used to say when a person comes out of the water, like if somebody would convert to, Ju to Judaism, when they come out of the water, they are like a newborn babe. Completely pure, right? And this is where we get our baptism from, is that we are newborn. So what I just want you to do, relate, pour some water out on the tables. It's just stick your fingers in. Just wait a moment. We're going to have like a nice moment. So stick your fingers in, and maybe you can touch your forehead. 
or just wipe your hands or whatever you want to do. And just remember your baptism. Martin Luther, the reformer Martin Luther, used to, when things got hectic and he didn't know what was up or down or whether he still had faith or not and was doubting or whatever, he used to touch his forehead and say, Martin, remember your baptism. Remember that you were baptized. Right? Remember that you are part of the covenant. Remember that you are in. And we forget that often. So I'll just give everybody a quick moment and like in, in silence, just dip your fingers in the water and maybe touch your forehead and just for a moment remember the covenant. Remember that you are part of this community. Remember that you are part of the church and that the moment that you came up out of that water or the moment that that water touched your forehead when you were a baby, you were a part of this church. Not this church, the church. And that's something cool to remember. So go for it. The Hebrew word for seven is Sheba. And Sheba stands not only for a number, it also um, means to swear covenant. So when you swear yourself, like in Genesis 21, you seven yourself, actually. Seven being the perfect number, being the holy number. So you tie yourself to that. So remember, remember who you are. Lion King moment. Remember who you are. Peacemaker. Child of God. You're part of a family. And we will never leave you. Right? I would always, I would always go and get you. <laughs> I was like joking in the past. Like going, I would one day, I want to arrive at heaven and have like at least two or three people behind me dragging them by their trousers, kicking and screaming and going, these are going in with me. <laughs> like, I want to be that. I want to be like that guy. So, yeah, let's just pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us. Thank you that we are part of your covenant, that we are part of the church. Thank you that we can uh, remember our baptism, remember that we are part of this family, that we are newborn. Help us to remember our identity, that we are peacemakers. Help us to love our postal code, that we love Pretoria, that we love our country, that we will make peace here, that we will function as peacemakers here. Remind us, please, when we get into situations during the week where we can be the peacemakers, where we can show mercy. Thank you that you give us the strength through your spirit to make peace. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for coming and uh, we'll see you next week.